want to take a moment to thank Dan Wired, uh, who is our Director of Christian Education here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, uh, to, who has come to help lead us in worship. Thank you, Dan, for your contributions. Thank you to all our, our uh, choral singers who are here with us, and thank you to all of you. Um, as we've said, the work of the church, even though we are adapting to changing times, continues to go on, and we do uh, hope that all those who are actively participating in the neighborhood church book study will continue to find their own ways uh, to, to work through that study together, and in that regard, we will continue to follow along with the chapters, and we turn to this 17th chapter of Acts, verses 16 through 34, where Paul has gone ahead to the city of Athens. His ministry partners will be following uh, behind him soon, uh, but we pick up there with Paul in Athens, Greece. So listen now for the word of God that uh, is given to the church on this Lord's day. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some says, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed 
And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Clearly, partnership is at the core of our faith. That statement from Neighborhood Church is our core idea for this third week of Lent. As Paul says, we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this kind of transformation is only able to occur when we are in authentic partnership with God and authentic partnerships with God's people. As we look in on the Apostle Paul and his missionary journey to Athens... Circumstances do not appear favorable for the forming of such partnerships. With respect to God, Paul is disappointed to find a community obsessed with idols. With respect to other people, Paul is disappointed to find individuals more interested in debates and in feuds than in authentic relationships. The the Athenian attention span is short, and what the Athenians seem to want is to simply be entertained, to be entertained by the latest intellectual fad. As the writer of Acts says, they would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Not unlike a 24-hour news cycle, with talking heads yelling past one another, nothing really understood, nothing clearly gained. Against all odds, however, Paul is able to pull something real and productive out of this hot mess in Athens. He employs his full complement of skills to share the gospel. Some scoff and turn away and take to their own path, dismissing Paul as just another babbler. But some stay, and some listen, saying, we will hear you again about this. And some even become partners with Paul, joining him as part of the body of Christ. Paul lays the foundation for this partnership by finding something that he and the Athenians have in common. As I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, Paul says, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. The Athenians had conceived all kinds of idols and gods, but they still sort of felt like they were missing something. Or maybe they just wanted to cover the bases and hedge their bets. Either way, they couldn't exactly say what they were missing or how they were missing it. All they could do was to build a little altar, a minor stack of stones and mortar to acknowledge the missing connection and to give a nod to a God whose name they did not know. Seeing an opening, Paul tries his best to introduce them to this God, the one who made the world and everything in it, the one who is Lord of heaven and earth, the one who does not live in shrines made by human hands, 
the one who has made all nations and allotted all times, the one who draws close to each one of us. And his amazing sermon ends with a paradigm-shifting quotation that has confounded historians and inspired great theologians. No one really knows where the quotation came from, but few who have heard it have forgotten it. This God who is unknown to you, Paul says, is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. There is no part of our lives that does not rest and depend upon this firm foundation in God. It's an important reminder for us this week as we are all doing our best to follow the constantly evolving story of COVID-19. As voices call out from every side to beware and to take precautions, some are scoffing and some are listening. Some are mocking decisions as overreactions. Others are worried that we are not doing enough. We find ourselves today in an Athens-like situation. Is this new and latest thing just babble, as some want to say? Or is this a legitimate threat that is legitimately dangerous and deserving of our utmost respect and attention? Now, as we ponder this question, I think we should, as followers of Christ, adopt a certain mindset for the whole thing. Perhaps we, like Paul, can listen deeply to what is happening in this community conversation and hear the rumblings, not of failure, not of disaster, but of an opportunity. Perhaps we can look closely around our own neighborhood for the things that we all have in common. Regardless of what you think about the coronavirus, I would argue that what we have in this moment is an opportunity, an opportunity to partner with others in selfless action and to experience for ourselves what a transformational partnership really is. These kinds of partnerships are transformational because both parties are changed. I saw the way this worked when I was practicing law and used to help parties form limited liability companies and limited partnerships. Each one was a negotiation, a give and a take. One party might have land that had been in their family for generations. The other party might have special skills or expertise in developing condominiums or mitigating wetlands. For the partnership to form and to work, each party had to figure out what they were willing to contribute, what they were willing to risk, and what might be gained through it all. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. But when it did work, both parties gained. Both were better, both were stronger, and both were happier in the end. So what does all this have to do with the coronavirus? As I see it, this is an opportunity for us to form partnerships that can transform us, that can transform our neighborhood, and even transform our country and world. And obviously, we as a church have made some bold moves this week. It feels really strange to be preaching to a predominantly empty room. It feels counterintuitive for a church to be avoiding gathering in groups. 
And it is uncomfortable not to know how long this whole thing will last. And if we're just thinking about ourselves, then the actions that we're taking are kind of hard to justify. But I think that's the point. By taking these actions, we are not just thinking about ourselves. On the contrary, we're making a reasoned, intentional, proactive choice to partner with others in our community, our state, our nation, and our world. We are partnering with all of those people who have listened to scientists, listened to health professionals, who are saying that the best thing we can do is to try to do our part to slow the spread of this illness. And if we were to do nothing, if we were to continue to go on as if nothing is really happening, then we would actually be helping the virus. We would allow it to spread the way it is built to spread and to thrive in the places where it thrives most aggressively, in places where people are gathered together in close quarters in situations where close greeting and face-to-face communication and personal contact is normal and encouraged, in places where older people and vulnerable people are likely to congregate in large numbers. Experts say that if the virus is allowed to spread in these kinds of conditions, the rate of infection could quickly overwhelm our healthcare system and put everyone at greater risk. But if we modify our own behavior for the good of others, if we are willing to change ourselves to help other human beings, then our efforts join with the efforts of everyone else who is trying to flatten that curve, to force that virus to work much harder to spread, to slow it down, to hold it back, and to give our health professionals time to knock it out. But I would say that these actions are not just wise and pragmatic. They are also Christian. They allow us to do what Christ would do, not to think of our own wants and needs, but of the needs of others. To not act selfishly, but instead to share the mind of Christ who humbled himself for others, even to the point of death, even to the point of death, on a cross, so that those who believe in him, who humble themselves and pick up their own crosses, may find themselves exalted with Christ. So even if we are not meeting together as we have been doing, as we have become accustomed to doing, even though things are a little different and uncomfortable even, perhaps even scary, What we are doing is more like the true church than a lot of things that we do. And it could transform the way we think of all kinds of things. The way we spend our time. The way we spend our money. The way we celebrate the sacraments. The way we treat one another. To modify our own behavior in the hope that it might help other people is to enter into a transformational partnership with God and with God's people. When Paul preached to Athens, some scoffed, but some listened, and some were moved to enter into a new and transformational partnership with Paul and with the church of Jesus Christ. 
And we have a chance to do that in this moment. And in this moment, I'll speak for myself, I would rather not sit with the scoffers. And Psalm 1 said, why better than I can? Happy are those who do not take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, happy are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on God's law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Transformation is hard because it means we're committing to something new and becoming something new, something we have not been before. And change can be difficult, even painful. Partnerships can be hard because they are like marriages. They require patience and sacrifice and commitment and generous give and take to survive. But the same Paul who preached to Athens calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And he also calls us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead to think of the needs of others before we tend to our own. And we have before us now a critical moment, an opportunity to join hands with people who are trying to act in the best interest of others. We have a chance to follow Christ into the unknown of this current health crisis, seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. I'm really happy to say that I'm already seeing our elders, our deacons, our ministry teams beginning to dream in new ways of keeping connected and tending to the ties that bind us together. And I pray that all of you will join us in this transformational partnership as we seek to be the body of Christ together at this moment in time. May God bless this church. May Christ walk with us. And may the power of the Holy Spirit guide us to care for this neighborhood that we call home. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.